Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I got the email. I was actually on the river when I got the email. Came back in service. I was with my buddy Andy, and I looked at it, and it was the contract, and I opened it. It said Chamonix on it, and the first thought that I had was, they trust me in France with these kids. I've never been there before. So that was that was really scary. But then, you know, my confidence in myself started to kick in of like, you know, they chose me for a reason. They put me on this trip for a reason. Like they, they've got to see something in me that I don't see like right away. And um, yeah, that just like kind of calmed me. Like I've got two weeks of training. Like they're not going to send me out there without them being confident in me right. so this is the tom Rowland podcast fascinating stories to amaze encourage and inspire you in fishing fitness and the outdoors and we're brought to you by black rifle coffee i started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends people that i admire and respect and you it has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is tomrollandpodcast.com and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done both the how-to Tuesdays, the full links, and the physical Fridays. They all live on TomRolandPodcast.com. And the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram. Or you can go to our big account, Saltwater underscore Experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now, let's get on to today's show. I'm Hayden Roland, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. All right. One of my favorite podcast guests of all time, Hayden Rowland. My son. What's up, buddy? How are you? Doing good. How are you? Good. Uh, you have returned from possibly your best summer ever. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, what do you want to hear? All of it. All of it. So uh, just to let you all know what I did. So I worked for this adventure travel company. Um taking teens to the most awe-inspiring places. That's our slogan uh, called Moondance. Yeah. And, uh, I went to Chamonix, so I visited four new countries, Spain, Switzerland, France, and Italy. We went backpacking in the Alps, the Pyrenees, and then sea kayaking in Costa Brava. Wow. 
That's incredible. And so, you know, just, I know this, but for um, people that are listening, you had never been in that area. Mm -mm, Never been to Europe. Well, you've been to Europe once for United Kingdom, but not like mainland Europe. So, so when you're, um, well, let's talk about how, like you decided to do this and how the process of getting the job and, and what that looked like and maybe the other kind of places that you possibly could have been selected to go on. What did that look like? Um, so the interview process was pretty thorough. I had four interviews, uh, by phone call and then I had like a pretty in-depth survey that I answered about like my experience and why I wanted to work for them. Um, didn't really have any other like job perspectives. That was kind of like the only one that I really thought about. And it picked, I applied so early and it picked up that I didn't really need to think about anything else. So, right. so when you're, when you're um, applying for this job, you're thinking there are a lot of different trips and you have mm-hmm. no idea which one you're going to be selected for or how does that work? Yeah. First year um, you have very little say and, uh, where you want to go. Like they, they look at your experience and like you fill out a survey saying where you want to go, but they don't, they don't really take that into like too much consideration. Um, so there are two trips close to Bozeman, one, the Yellowstone trip and, uh, two, the Grand Teton trip, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, like the big wild, um, uh, for, for younger kids. So I thought I was going to get put there because I have a lot of experience in that area. Um, but they selected me for their Chamonix trip, which is like their pinnacle trip. Um, yeah. I thought you'd be selected there too, because the Yellowstone trip has a lot of fly fishing involved. Mm-hmm. And it's the only fly fishing trip. Yeah. And I figured who would be, <laughs> how would they find somebody better than, than you to do that trip? Yeah. But, uh, so what did, which ones did you put down on your, on your thing originally that you wanted to go on? I wanted to do uh, Norway, Chamonix, Sylvania, and Iceland. It's pretty much all international, um, all mountain-based. And I got one of the ones that I asked for. So Wow. And what are the other trips that they offered this summer? Uh, they have Kilimanjaro. Well, they have, like, mountain-based trips and then sea-based trips. So, like, you've got your Fiji and Maui and Thailand, but then you've got your Kilimanjaro, Chamonix, Norway, Sylvania. Um, they've got service trips in Africa, Kenya, and Zanzibar. Wow, kind of all over. And so the way this thing's going to work is they they select you as an instructor, mm-hmm. and then how many people are on this trip? What's going to happen when you when you are taking the trip? Uh, when you're taking the trip, you usually have twelve students, and they try to split it six what and ages? six guys and girls. Depends on the trip. So my trip was. Um, 10th to 12th grade, which I ended up not having a kid that was older than 17. So 16, 17. Um, but then other sections had 18 and 19 year olds. So it depends on your, your grade, not your age. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had 16, 17, but then the youngest is like sixth and seventh grade. Okay. And then, um, so you're, you're, you're going to do this. When did you find out that you're going to get selected for that particular trip? I think around March. Yeah. There's yeah. still snow on the ground. Okay. And what did you think about that? Holy shit. <laughs> and so, so you're, what, what was, what was, uh, like scary or intimidating or like overwhelming about getting selected for that particular trip? Yeah. So I got the email. I was actually on the river when I got the email, came back in service. I was with my buddy, Andy, and I looked at it and, it was the contract and I opened it. It said Shamini on it. And the first thought that I had was they trust me in France with these kids. I've never been there before. So that was, that was really scary. But then, you know, my confidence and myself started to kick in of like, you know, they chose me for a reason. They put me on this trip for a reason. Like they've got to see something in me that I don't see like right away. And, um, yeah, that just like kind of calmed me. Like I've got two weeks of training. Like they're not going to send me out there without them being confident in me. So, right. And so let's talk about that deal. The, the training, um, because you had to have, uh, your, your, uh, medical, Mm -hmm. um, certification, right. So walk us through the, the training. So I left for school early. 
um, went to North Carolina and I did eight days of wilderness first responder training, which is a little step below EMT. I'm definitely not an EMT by any standard. Um, but it's a step up from wilderness first aid, a step down from EMT. Um, that was super intensive. We did a lot of scenarios, a lot of, uh, lecture time. Um, it was super fun. I love learning about that stuff and, uh, running all the scenarios. We had a night scenario. It was pitch black dark and all the patients were screaming. There's blood everywhere. It's crazy. Well, that's one of the things when the pictures that you sent, it looked like they, they made it look pretty realistic. Yeah. Like gunshot wounds. So like what did that, how does that work? Femur. What do they do? I uh, like putty and fake blood and putty and fake blood. And so they really try to make it as realistic as, as possible. Now who's running this, this, uh, Wolfer course, this guy named Randy, he wasn't in moon dance. He was, um, a part of solo back country. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, that's an eight day course. Mm -hmm. Okay. What all did you learn in that deal? Everything from blister and burn care to do traction in lines on open femur fractures to how to plan a evac. Is that something that you would recommend for people that spend time in the outdoors? Yeah, I think it's mandatory. It should be mandatory. Just like if you're going to go backcountry skiing, having your Abbey one, at least your Abbey one. It just, I mean, it makes me more comfortable now being that certified. Um, I just, I don't know, education is super important. And I just think everybody, it, it would just make their time a lot easier. And mm -hmm. Might help mitigate some risks. So you know, with the Wolfer course, what do you think that, that you're, you're prepared to to do now? I mean, like how far could you take that? What What scenarios are you capable of handling now that you might not have been before? Well, somebody, we're five miles into the backcountry. Somebody falls off a rock that's three times their height, breaks their tibia in half, poking out. I can respond to that now. Like it's going to be super uh, uncomfortable, but I can respond to it. So what would you be able to do as a wolfer that, you know, compared to like what an EMT would do? EMT would respond a lot better than I would. I can respond better than a wilderness first aid where... They see an open fracture, They're like, oh, shit, let's call somebody versus me where it's like, okay, let's put the bone back in the body. Let's make make sure we clean off the bone. I can I can reset open fractures, so wilderness first aid can't really mm -hmm. do that. And then what does an EMT do? All of that and more? Yeah. yeah. Administer drugs. I can't administer drugs besides, like, I don't know. So when you're taking this, uh, the Wolfer course and you finish it, does that make you want to take an EMT course? I think it'd be fun if it fits into my schedule. I mm -hmm. think it'd be super The one cool. that Turner did sounded pretty good. That was like a very condensed, high intensive, high yeah. intensity version that mm -hmm. was operated by Knowles, um, which sounded pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he got that wilderness EMT. And the funny thing about that was that right after he got that, um, when he came home, we, well, no, yeah, he came home right after that. And then we put him on an airplane to go back and somebody went down in the airport and he had to respond to that. But before that, even the day before we went into a restaurant and this lady is just laid out on the, on the ground. And Turner was like, no one, no one's doing anything. And mm -hmm. so he goes and responds to this lady on the ground. He, he, you know, he gets somebody to call 911. He basically just makes her comfortable and, and, and is trying to figure out what's going on. But, you know, obviously if you're in a town, you know, 911 is the best thing. Get the paramedics there. Yeah. Um, but it's just funny. Like as soon as he came back, he encountered two situations <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like right away, just like people just laid out and, uh, and he responded. It was, it was actually really cool to see him mm -hmm. and how quickly he just went right into it. So yeah, you should, you should do the, the EMT course too. That'd be cool. I'd like to do that. Yeah. Maybe we can do it together. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So you get your, you get your, um, your wolfer and that's the first part of this training. Mm -hmm. So then what does the training look like after that? I have a day off and then two weeks of pretty intensive training with Moondance. So you've yeah. got all the leaders there. Um, 
And we go from 6.30 to 10.30 every day of mostly lectures, scenarios, meeting with people, talking to the office, playing group games, having fun. And uh, how many people are there? Uh, it was like 150. 150 people, all like you, just getting ready to do a, lead one of these trips? Yeah, well, there was HQ there, so they didn't go out and lead trips. But I think we had like 140-something leaders. Wow. So I got to interact with people from all over, all different backgrounds, leading all different kinds of trips. So 140 leaders mm-hmm. divided by two, that's 70. So you have two two leaders on each trip. They're, they're yeah. putting out 70 trips a summer. Oh yeah. Really? Well, some trips have three leaders. Okay. Cause like Alaska. So even then there's three. 50 trips a summer. Yeah. They, they've got a ton of trips. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. 50 trips. I had no idea that it was that kind of operation. Some, some groups lead three trips a summer, the shorter trips. So like the two week trips, they lead three sessions. I did a 23 day trip, which is their longest trip. And I led two sessions. Okay. So you end up leading about the same amount of days. It's just how many groups do you have? So let's just break that down. If you had 50, 50 trips and how many locations are there, do you think? 26 different. Wow. I think. Could be wrong. That's a great start to the conversation. We're going to take a short break and get right back to the show in just a moment. Wow. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And so um, what's... What is this uh, moon dance? Like, I know Hannah went on one of the trips, and mm-hmm. it was really the first time I had ever heard of of moon dance. But what do you know about the the company? Like, what, where did it start, and why, and how? They were in Atlanta, so they've been running for. I think this is their twenty six. That's I think that's where that number comes from. Their twenty six season, um, run by a guy named Hayes Hitchens, who started it. Wanted to buy a summer camp, but the summer camp he wanted to buy ended up getting bought out. Um, so he just made like an adventure travel company. I don't know. That's pretty pretty much all they tell us at staff training. That's really pretty cool. And so when you're, um, the difference between when you get the email and you're thinking, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready Mm -hmm. for this and are they going to trust me to do this? And at the end of staff training, how did you feel? Did you feel like you were ready to (laughs) roll? You, (laughs) there were, um, there were a lot of things that I was ready to roll on. And then there were a lot of things that I was a lot more nervous about. Yeah. Like what? I don't know. You, you, you get really into your Kelly. Your Kelly is your uh, logistics book. So it's got everything in there, everything from outfitter contact to how many miles you're walking this day to all the meals you're providing and, and places where past leaders are, this corner market is a, is a go. This corner market's a no go. Everything. Studying that, you, you kind of start to realize that oh shit, uh, this is something I'm about to do, hmm. and um, that was pretty scary. Just be like, there's no turning back. No. Yeah. After the training, there's no turning back. You're all in. Wow. So that Kelly book. Um, mm-hmm. That has been uh, refined over years, yep. and every time that you come back, like when you finish this trip, you did this mm-hmm. this couple of day debrief, and that is kind of updating that book. Yeah, it's a part of it. We just went over the meat and potatoes of it, like how did you like your outfitters, stuff like that. Because our trip, the logistics um, waver so much because the outfitter books are root for us, so they'll give us an itinerary, but a lot of the times it's a lot of thinking on your feet and adjusting like in the moment. So it's kind of hard to, to have like an exact picture of what the trip's going to look like, but mm. yeah, past leaders um, give information and we had like an hour long meeting talking about it. That's so you get an hour, an <laughs> yeah. hour to figure it out. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's, let's walk through the whole thing. You go, um, you're meeting them in uh, Nashville, right? Or Atlanta it was Nashville. Not, before no, or after? Atlanta. Before, on the way out. Before, yep. Atlanta. Yep. So Nashville. Nashville, yep. right. Yeah, it was Nashville, right. Okay, so we drop you off in Nashville, and uh, you're going to meet these kids mm-hmm. at the airport. In Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. 
Wait, yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. Atlanta. That's why I got confused. Oh, okay, I was pretty yeah, sure yeah. we dropped you off in Atlanta. I thought you were talking about the HQ. Anyway, oh, yeah. so yeah, I meet the kids in Atlanta. Um, get there like four hours early with my co-leader. It was incredible. Um, get there and they, the kids start rolling in. We're introducing ourselves and we're sending them through security, making sure we got them. Because uh, so there's like an A and B session. So I was on Shamani two four B. So two A runs at the same time as us. They just do a different section first. So the two A leaders were already in Europe because they had a wedding to go to. So me and my co-leader were responsible for not only 12 kids, but 24 kids getting over there. Whoa. So we had 24 kids. Well, a couple of them met, met us in Europe. So 20 kids um, in an airport who I'd never met before. So how did you rendezvous? How did you meet them? Uh, we met them at the gate and then... Just a lot of sheep herding after that. Okay. So can you see these kids coming? You see which ones are... They're very you, easy to spot. Yeah? Why, what do they look like? What is a kid <laughs> wide-eyed and, and brand new gear? He's got... A lot of them had gear before this. Okay. Um, but yeah, new gear, backpack on, Chacos, two nail jeans. Those are the big things. And wide eye, looking around on the verge of tears, don't know what's going on. <laughs> very easy to spot the two now jeans were big. and they were instructed to have two now jeans mm -hmm. okay and so they had those on the outside of their pack mm -hmm. are you supposed to have them on the outside of your pack yeah easy access okay and um so a lot of these kids are just just left their parents on the other side of security and they're making their way mm -hmm. i would imagine some of them at that age some of them are very independent and some of them have never pro probably never been away from their parents yeah is that what was the mix like there first session was i don't know it's it's weird comparing sessions i don't really like to compare them because they're totally different but they were they were very responsive to us first session um so whenever we like said something of like, all right, let's get moving, you know, they shot up and did whatever Amy and I said, but yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get too into it. No, I mean, that's cool. But I just, what, what kind of kid goes on a trip like this? Shamani specifically, a lot of kids who have done trips before. Okay. And then the first year kids that we had were just. One of them didn't even look at the itinerary, didn't even know what the trip was about, just saw the cover photo and was like, I want to go there. Wow. That, so that sounds was, awesome. That was cool. She ended up being a total badass. Yeah. Um, But just kids who, A, want to experience what Moondance is all about, which is community, love, you know, expedition behavior, which is caring for everybody. Um, They want to see new things, try new things, meet new people. Those are like the three biggest reasons that a kid signs up. Okay. And then what kind of, uh, what kind of community are you building there? Um, and what are the, you have ground rules and stuff mm -hmm. like that? Like what, what does that look like? Yeah, we were uh, pretty strict about this thing called the good decisions letter. It's basically like no drinking, no vaping, no sexual activity, no bullying. And so they sign that before they go? They sign it before. And then I read it first night on both both trips. It's like, this is zero tolerance. Okay. Zero tolerance. So what would happen if, if that was violated? Kicked out. Kicked out. And so you're just in the middle of Europe and you can have to kick somebody out. What does that look like? I don't know. We didn't have to do huh. it. Thankfully. But, um, yeah, if it's, if it's severe enough, you'll act quick. Sometimes just takes a while hmm. to, get, to get them out. Okay. So, well, luckily you didn't have to do that, yeah. but, uh, what about phones and social media and no all phones that? supposed to have no phones? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how was that? Like, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, it, today so many of these kids and myself included, you're not really spending very much time away from your phone. Mm -hmm. And so what does that look like when you see these kids? I mean, are you seeing like, um, addictive behavior, like they just can't 
believe that they've turned their phone off and where is it and what was going on or how long did it take them to kind of untether from the, the world of social media? From social media it was pretty quick. What surprised me was all of them wanted to know what time it was all the time. And it was my job to not tell them. Huh. So I, I had a watch on and I ended up turning the face on the inside of my wrist cause they were looking at my watch um, from far away and I don't know what time it was, but live in the moment's a big part of, uh, of moon dance. So I didn't see any problem with them with social media and these kids are a lot more capable than they think they are. Like they think that they're trapped by this phone, but I mean, you give them three hours without a phone, tell them they're not going to get it back in a month. They get pretty weird pretty quick <laughs> and they, I didn't see him struggle at all. I mean, they talked about TikToks and posts and famous people and whatnot, but they, I don't know, they figured it out pretty quick. Mm, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, and so no, no phone, but the, the, you had to know what time it was because mm -hmm. you got to keep them on a schedule. Yeah. I had my phone, um, but I did my best to unplug too. Like I, I send you all the text every few nights, but I didn't really have Wi-Fi that much. So even if you did have a phone, you didn't have an international plan, not really much you can do on it. So. <laughs> but the, uh, the messages we got were basically like, uh, hello from this place. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Talking five days. Yeah. And then we would text right back <laughs> and you would already turned your phone off. Yeah. I was not keen on having my phone. Yeah. What did you think about that? Untethering from. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish I could do it in daily life too. I mean, I can, it's just a little more difficult when you're not, it's not mandatory. It seems like it's like almost like boredom. Like if there's the slightest bit of boredom, you pick up the phone and look at it, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, I don't know. That's where, that's where things are so different than when I grew up. When I grew up, like boredom was, that was like a, a thing. It was like a tool that was was beneficial almost. That it's it's almost like bored. We would sit around and get bored and then we'd be like, Let's go ride our bikes. Let's go play football. Mm -hmm. Let's get a football game together. Let's do whatever. Uh but there was nothing on TV. We had three channels. There was nothing on TV except old people shows like soap operas and, and Lawrence Welk and stuff like that. Lawrence Welk was the worst show for a kid ever. It had like this big, uh, I guess it was like called a big band. You know, they had like horns and drums and all this stuff in the back and everybody was dressed in like a coat and tie and Lawrence Welk would sing and there'd be people that sing and stuff on there. And there would be, I remember there were bubbles all over the place. Like they would be doing all this music and there'd be bubbles. And for a kid, you're just like, Bleh! you want to throw up, like just watching that. And so if Lawrence Welk was on, you could be sure that every kid was outside because nobody's watching that. No kid wanted to watch Lawrence Welk. And that was the big show. And so we would just go outside all the time. It's so different now. Mm -hmm. It's so different, but it seems like it's, it seems like, like everybody's afraid of boredom now. Like they don't, you don't want to be bored for even a second and you can just pick up your phone and look at Instagram or TikTok or something for a few seconds and you get mm -hmm. like some kind of dopamine rush to your brain that who knows if that's good or bad or whatever, but, um, that's super cool that they took away you you took away the phone and gave these kids that experience of not really having a phone all summer. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. And so, okay, so you land uh where? We land in Paris and then we have a connecting flight to Geneva, Switzerland, and we had some trouble in Paris right away. Like what? There were there were two flights to Geneva. Mm -hmm. One that was like right after we landed, and then one that everybody else was booked on. So there was like 
three or four students that were booked on the first connecting flight. Ooh. On your trip? On my trip. What about this other trip that you're that you're responsible for getting these yeah. other kids over there too? There is one girl who's booked. I'll get okay. to that in a minute. All right. So we uh we land. We're about to first of all, our, our flight gets delayed because there's a cyber attack in Switzerland. I don't know what that was about, but hmm. um flight gets delayed and uh my co leader figures out that one of the girls or two of the girls maybe on my trip were booked on the earlier flight. They got canceled. So they need to get rebooked for this flight. So she runs and go, goes and does the whole thing. We're boarding the plane. I'm the last person boarding with a girl on the other trip in front of me. She scans her ticket. It's the wrong flight. They give us five minutes to rebook it which was weird that we couldn't book it at the kiosk. So we have to run all the way on the other side of the terminal, rebook her ticket. We missed the flight. Oh no. Get on the next flight out of there in 45 minutes, which was pretty sweet, but I had no communication with my co-leader. I didn't have an international phone. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have Wi-Fi. She didn't have connection. There's no communication uh, between us saying that I wasn't on the flight with this girl. That was pretty stressful landing yeah. in Geneva and she's there with all the kids at baggage claim. Luckily our bags were delayed. Um, but we get, we get to baggage claim, reconnect with all the kids. The other two leaders come and get their kids. I take all 12 of them on a train and book our tickets in French <laughs> and I've <laughs> literally no idea what I'm doing. And I'm just like tapping at this screen. But luckily there's a student who spoke a little bit of French. So he came over and helped me out with the thing. But I was, I had no idea what I was doing. First time ever buying train tickets. So that was pretty scary. And then I luckily. But you know got, where you're supposed to go, right? I know where I'm supposed to go. I know I'm supposed to go to the, um, to the Geneva train station and then walk from the train station to our hostel, which was like half a mile. Okay. 0.8 miles, not very long. And um, so I'm like trying to find this train, and I've, ne I've never been on a train in Europe ever. And so I, I find a train that I think is it, and I'm like, <laughs> let's get on. I guess this is it. And so we get on and get off at the next stop, and it was the right place. But figuring that stuff out on the fly was... Mm, it was scary because yeah. I got 12 kids. I don't have a co-leader with me because she was waiting for the bags at the airport. So why would you split like that? And what she, how is she going to handle all these bags by herself? We're going to take a quick break and get right back to the show in just a moment. She's a badass. I don't know. She wow. had two, she had two checked bags, two duffel bags that she had to get. And I think she got a taxi um, or she got, she caught the train and then, the taxi with these giant like, bags. Yeah. They have like carts. I think she used a cart. Okay. Um, but yeah, so she stayed behind by herself and got the bags. They were like four hours late and I took the kids and played cards with them and got us all checked into the hostel. And yeah, wow, that was our first experience being split up and the trip hadn't even started. <laughs> so that was, yeah, we got split up a few times over the summer. Okay, so what's the schedule like now that you've you're you're there? Are you <laughs> cooling down a little no. bit? Like it seems pretty stressful so far. Yeah, no, there's no cooling down the whole summer. It was always going. So from there we check into the hostel. We have dinner that night. We wake up, go to the train station early. We have a ten hour train to go across the whole country to Lords because so we were in Geneva. And then we trained back to Paris and then down to Lourdes um, to start our day in the Pyrenees. So we have three days of travel, nonstop traveling, um, except for like an afternoon in Geneva. And then the day after we get to Lourdes, we start our trek. So we're all super tired, all pooped, super long train day. Um, we're about to start an eight-day section of backpacking. You got any food? How do you feed all these kids? That was another thing. I had to find a pizza place. Oh, this is a cool story. So 
first time we're in Lords. Emmy's, uh, Emmy's got the kids, and I split off to go get food because I'm the accountant, so I deal with all the money, which was another whole thing. <laughs> um, but so she like looks up this pizza place, and she's like, "I think this is a good one. You should go get get everybody pizza." I have no idea how much the kids are gonna eat. It's just totally eyeballing it. So I walk over. It's like 1.2 miles. I walk over to this pizza place in Lords and I and I walk in and ask them if they speak English. Very little. So I'm like communicating with this Italian man. Like, I've got 12 kids. I'm trying to feed. Can we get some pizza? He's like trying to translate what all the types of pizza are. And, you know, I get a whole list going. And I'm like, can you deliver? Like, is this something that you can deliver? And they don't deliver. But the dude says he'd, he'd give me a ride. And I was a little sketched out because <laughs> there's a, a very obvious language barrier. And so... I like showed him where the hotel was and he puts all the pizzas in the car and drives me to the hotel and drops me off in front. And I've got 12 pizzas for the kids right there. And they start <laughs> going ape shit. It was awesome. And then you paid for this with what the, the, you had you the had, company card. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they yeah. took a card. Yep. And did you have to carry cash all this? On I, this trip? Yeah. I carried cash too. Okay. In all different, uh, I mean, you went to like four countries, so yeah. So the the euro is all, most all. common, but Switzerland uses the Swiss franc. So I was dealing with three different currencies: USD, euro, and Swiss franc. Hmm. As the accountant was kind of a nightmare. Yeah, but <laughs> so getting them fed was that a challenge throughout? What was the best meal that you had? Oh, we went. <sighs> We went to an Italian restaurant in Italy, which I guess is just a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, that was really good. <laughs> What'd you get? Uh, it was, the stuff was already like pre-bought. So we had pizza, pasta, salad, bread, the whole works. It was awesome. Yeah. But there, there's this one refugee <laughs> called Bujarillo in Spain. Um it was so nice. Like definitely the bougiest place that we stayed the whole summer. And every time we would go in to sit down, they would have like two jugs of wine on the table. So, you know, drinking is off the table. Like there's zero tolerance with drinking on moon dance, especially for the leaders too. Like you can't do anything. So every time we would go in there, I would just like grab all these jugs of wine and like put them on a different table and all the kids would like, Look at me! I don't get any ideas. <laughs> what would the restaurant owner be like? Oh, they just, yeah, they they didn't care. I'd just be like, no vino. And they'd be like, okay, hmm, okay. And so that was your best. That was your best meal. And then tell me about like the way that this trip works out. Like you're kind of you're the leader, uh -huh. and you're responsible for getting all of these kids fed, sheltered travel from one place to another. And then when you get to these other places that are already scheduled for you, mm -hmm. right. You're like going to outfitters and you're going mm -hmm. to a guide. Like yep. tell me about the activities that are, uh, are planned and what you're going to do when you get to these different places. So first section that we did both times was a day trek in the Pyrenees. We're staying in uh refugios, just like little mountain huts made of stone. Super awesome. They have electricity. Um, electricity, yeah. Okay. Most often. And how many people water. would stay? And what if it was full? How many people would be there? The biggest one was Goritz, which was in Spain. Two hundred. Two hundred people could be there. People camped out in tents outside too. That one was probably the most popular one. Okay. That we that we went to. And so you're not carrying tents with you, right? Hell no. So not on this trip. Mm -mm. So that's not the way you, you normally roll. Like when you went to Knowles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very different. Very different than what I'm used to. Okay. So what was this like? So what, what did you, what were you, what was each person carrying? Like what, if you were to be perfectly prepared for the, just the trip that you had, like what did you need to be, Is each person need to be carrying and have? As a student or this, the leader? Either way. I Either don't know. way. So as a student, you need like a pair of clothes to change into when you get there, 
So one set of clothes for that, one set of clothes for hiking. You need a pack towel, a little, you know, lunchbox bowl. Um, they're really strict on food waste over there. So capturing everything that you can. What do, um, what do you mean? Like restrict on food waste? They don't like to waste food. So if you don't finish a meal, they get pissed. Huh. Which is something that we encountered. Quite Did you take a bit. it with you? Tried to, yeah. Or whatever leftover food that we had at dinner would then be our lunch for the next day. So okay. it was kind of a double whammy if the kids didn't like it. Mm. Um, spoon, hat, sunglasses, sunscreen, chacos. So really not much. Everybody's carrying 20 pounds. <sighs> if I were to be a student on this trip, I would get away with 10. 10 pounds. 10 pounds. And you just wear the same clothes all the time? How many pairs of underwear would you take? I would bring one extra pair of underwear. One extra pair? For eight days? Hell yeah. Okay, so, but you're on this thing for 23 days. Yeah, but like the packing list that they give you, you should be able to divvy out your clothes throughout the whole trip. Oh, so you have a big backpack and then a small, or you have a big duffel bag and then you have a small backpack? Yeah, so you travel... The way that I did it is I traveled with my backpacking backpack and then I had this like collapsible day pack that whenever we got to where we were staying before our next section, I would throw everything that I wasn't going to use in there. So I dropped like 15 pounds. And where does that stay? At the hotel. Oh. They they allowed us to, to keep gear oh, there. Okay. So then you just go super light mm-hmm. and you only need one extra change of clothes. Yeah. For the okay. students, yeah. For me, I had a bunch of, I had a big repair kit because I didn't know if kids were going to be busting buckles or breaking seams or anything like that. Um, med kit, blister kit, iPad, charging stuff, international phone, passports, Man, med like forms. You're perfectly prepared. You had all of that. Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, the charging, like a some sort of a, um, battery powered charger. Yeah, portable charger. Yeah. Portable charger. Solar paneled. Solar international powered. adapter. Like it, it became pretty clear to me pretty quick that, like we were talking about earlier, this is not the the kind of trip that I'm used to, and I'm used to a pretty heavy pack, carrying a lot of gear, carrying food, cooking stuff, sleeping in a tent. And this was, I felt guilty sometimes. It's just. Yeah, but it's kind of like. So nice. Yeah, it's nice, but it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of the same, right? Like you're just, you're just learning how to thrive in a different environment. Mm-hmm. Like what you're talking about before with the Knowles trip and everything, the heavy pack and the, 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 you're bringing a camp stove and you've got all your own food and you've got a way to make your water, you know, potable and you've got, um, you know, your good sleeping bag and you've got rain gear and you've got, I don't know, whatever else you're carrying. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to Alaska and you're living in like harsh conditions, mm-hmm. but you're carrying everything that you need. Whereas this situation is you're, you're blending into a, a, a new um, population, four different countries. You've got to have the, you know, the, um, a way to communicate You've got to have money. Mm-hmm. You've got to have different currencies. You have to have, um, you know, uh, ways to use electricity, like the different adapters. Mm-hmm. And all these different places have different adapters. Like when I buy some kind of crazy uh, thing that's also available in Europe, they always come with all these different adapters that look, I don't know, to to us they don't look like anything you would ever use. Mm-hmm. But when you go, like when I went to Australia or whatever, like if you didn't have that adapter, good luck, mm-hmm. right? You had to have that. So like, it's just kind of interesting to hear you kind of talk about this because like you've got, you now know how to thrive in all these different areas. This was kind of like more of an mm-hmm. urban kind of thing almost, even though yeah. you're, you're out there. And, and the, the skills that it takes as a leader on this trip versus Moondance runs a Alaska trip that's very similar to my Nolan's trip, minus the curriculum and the intensity. They go to the same places. Um, but 
Yeah. Oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> the skills that you learn. Oh, the skills that you learn. Um, or that you need, like, the trip that I did with the moon dance was very soft skills driven, which I guess is now a strength. Before well, tell me what wasn't. the difference is between soft skills and hard skills. So hard skills would be uh, setting up a tent, fishing, hunting, mountaineering, um, mountaineering, backpacking, uh, setting up tarps in turbulent conditions, uh, river crossings, uh, reading a map, navigation, using a Garmin, building a fire, building a fire, um, any sort of medical training. Okay. Um, packing a pack. That sort of stuff. Okay. Hardcore leadership goals, objective driven, that's a, that sort of stuff. And soft skills is group dynamics and making sure everybody's got water, making sure everybody's okay, comforting kids if they're homesick. Uh, I don't know, being a spontaneous motivator on trail, making sure everybody goes to bed. Checking in with every kid every day, talking, empathizing, making sure that you and your guide are on the same page, making sure you and your co-leader are on the same page. A lot of communication and a lot of, I don't really know how else to say it, but just like feeling the vibe of like mm. what's going on and you have to be on top of it. It's interesting. In my own experience, that would, I would, I never even thought about this until you were just saying this, but just like thinking when you were saying that, I was like, I wonder... Like what that's the difference is, is with that. And it's like hard skills is like when you go camping on your own or like whatever. And then when you become a guide, now you have to have the hard skills, but you're also entertaining people. You're also yeah. making sure that they're comfortable. You're also feeding them. You're also making sure that they got, if they need to go to the bathroom, like do we need to go to the beach or like mm -hmm. what are we doing? And then there's, hosting a trip where now you're going to take a whole bunch of people mm -hmm. and they're all going to have different problems. Like that's kind of, it's all interesting. Problems. Uh, I never even thought about that. Like I've, I've done all three of those. Um, and then when you're a dad, now you're taking kids out into the woods or into the ocean or whatever. And boy, what a difference that is like this whole deal of like learning things. And it's like, Okay, it used to be that the 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 goal was catching a fish. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, you know, the goal is like entertaining these kids so that they want to come back. Mm -hmm. Catching a fish is way down on the list. Making sure that they don't get so sunburned that they <laughs> think this is the worst experience they've ever had in their life oh, yeah. and never want to come back. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, I mean, you guys, you love to play in the lab well. Like, that was your, you were really into playing in the lab well. And it was like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, if that's what you like to do, do it. And then, so then you started thinking, like, I don't know, some people get all mad at people when they, that kids, when they play in the lab well, you're killing the bait, like, you know, whatever. It's like, oh man, that, that kid's you're having a good time. Yeah. When you put it on the hook and throw it out there <laughs> and don't catch anything, you just killed it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's all about making sure that, whoever you're, you're with is having a good time. And that's what you were doing. You were, you were making sure that they were safe. Number one, they were in the right place. Number two, they're having a good time. Number three. And if they weren't having a good time, what could you do to help that? Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so how did your, how did you rate your soft skills in the beginning? I don't know. I didn't, I never really thought about them. Well, what about now? Do you think you developed some? I think I did pretty good. I mean, I think I did pretty good. I don't know what the students think or my co-leader thinks, but considering that I come from a very hard skills-driven background, I think I did pretty good. Before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to take one final break. Be right back. That's really cool to see you do a trip like this. I know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't fully grasp that it was all soft skills until halfway through the summer. Uh, there's some hard skills. You got to navigate. You got to communicate. Yeah, but you have the, to. I mean, those are those are urban hard skills. Yeah, like 
being able to read a bus schedule. That's like being able to read a, a topographic map. I mean, it's the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. You have to navigate through these places that you've never been before. It's no different than navigating through these places that you've never been before in the wilderness. Yeah. It's just that instead of falling off a cliff, you get hit by a bus, right? If you step out into that track right there, you're going to die. <laughs> if you step off of that cliff right there, you're going to yeah. die, right? It's the same yeah, kind of yeah. thing. The thing that... um that like most surprised me or not surprised me, but the thing that I just thought about the most of like what you actually need to be this uh, specific trip leader is you got to be really, really good at thinking on your feet. And because every day you wake up and, and you think that this person, you know, is doing okay or, or that they had a tough day yesterday, but they overcame it. But then, Oh no, they're, they're not doing good. Or it's like, oh, this person had the best day in the world yesterday, but they're not doing good today. And what changed and how can I help? And, and okay, well, we're hiking on this trail and we're taking a water break and the guide pulls me over and he says, well, I wanted to summit that mountain, but this girl back here is not doing good. So I'm going to change the route. We're going to do this instead. Great. Cool. Thanks for letting me know. Stuff is changing all the time somebody would be completely fine and then have you know stomach cramps that they can't walk and they're pooping themselves on trail and so do you think that um, like one of the things that that i've learned when going into these different places like when we went to christmas island i took you to christmas island and i had been to christmas island before and when i went to christmas island before a lot of people made the mistake of drinking the water or doing something so when we went i was like listen boys put a washcloth over the over the 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 faucet in the sink so you don't accidentally brush your teeth with this mm-hmm. water like don't this is no this is a no go and when you go in the shower don't open do your not mouth. open yep. your mouth and all of this and all of these things and and we didn't get sick mm-hmm. but it took a trip before where a lot of people got sick mm-hmm. and then like do you think that if you were to do this again that you could maybe make different food choices or you could instruct people in different ways to where nobody got sick or is that just kind of part of the travel that it's just pretty likely that if you got 12 people somebody's yeah the first session we didn't have too many sickness we had one kid who got motion sickness on a train that was pretty bad and then the same kid we all ate the same thing and he was the only one that had a reaction but he had diarrhea all night um, yeah. And then second session, we encountered some problems, pretty serious problems. Um, we called it the Pyrenees Plague because <laughs> the Pyrenees when it was all hitting in. And I was, I actually got hit with the Pyrenees Plague too. But we heli one girl out because of it. She got so sick, she couldn't keep anything down. She just didn't have anything in her system. She's mm. so weak and and. Um, it was the right call to get her out of there. So we got a helicopter in, took her and my co-leader out. So I was with the 11 kids, two of them who were not in good shape at all. Stomach cramps, super nauseous, can't walk, not drinking water, Mm. super bad shape. Same day. I had some stomach problems on trail too. And, uh, that was demoralizing to be, the only leader in the group. I have no idea how long it's going to be until I reconnect with my co-leader or the girl. If she's coming back, I don't know. I have no communication with them. I don't have a phone. And, um, I'm sitting up there painting the side of the mountain. <laughs> I got 11 kids I'm responsible for down there that I'm not with. It's super stressful coming down, still not feeling good. And then I got to check them into the hotel, get them fed. I have these responsibilities that I have to do and I feel like shit. And it, that was mentally extremely exhausting and frustrating. Cause I'm supposed to be this Superman character who can do anything. Hmm. And here I am. I'm sick. Sounds like you're talking good. about being a dad. <laughs> I was a dad. I was, they called me dad. They yeah. called me dad over the whole summer, which is super funny, but yeah, it was it was mind opening that I just you, you tap into this different different world and you become 
somebody who you didn't, you weren't super familiar with. Mm. It's just, my co-leader had this quote that she said all the time. It says, um, it all works out in the end because it has to. I just thought about that the whole time that I have to get these kids fed. I have to get them checked in. I have to get them showered. I have to get them rested. Hmm. I have to get them into the van. We have to get food. They have to drink water. I have to feel good. Taking some selfish steps to like, when we get to the hotel, just, okay, I need two hours. You know, take a power nap, do what I can, electrolytes, water. So that sounds like you just had this, this summer of, uh, I would say enlightenment or, or like growth, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know that you're fully going to understand yeah. that growth for a while, maybe until you even become a parent. Yeah. And then probably. you're kind of like, I've already been here. Like, this is like almost deja vu. Like you, you've got a baby there and mm-hmm. it, it's going to work out because it has to like, it has to. Yeah. It and will. that's how, that's how it is when you're a mm-hmm. parent, especially for a young parent. Um, you're just kind of like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing, but I know it's going to work out because it has to, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the thing. Like we're going to figure this out somehow. And then if you have the, the right partner, you tell your wife, I need, I need an hour and you got to hold down the fort for an hour. Mm -hmm. And then she does. And, then she says the same thing to you later. I need an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but really what you want to say is I need a month, <laughs> you know, but, but there is no month. Yeah. So when you, when you look at um, like you, you've been on both sides of the, of the fence here, you've been a, a student at a Knowles course and you've been a leader of a moon dance course, very different ones, hard skills. You learned a ton about wilderness living and, mm-hmm and leadership uh, on the Knowles course. And then you're on the other side, you're learning a lot about soft skills and a different type of leadership on the, on the moon dance. Do you think that both of those are complementary, or do you think that, um, one, you learn more than the other, or where do you sit with those two things? I mean, do they, are they on two different ends of the spectrum and they're two totally different things that you can't even compare or are you closely comparing them? Both. Um, I think it's really hard to compare the two, but one thing that, um, that I've really tried to, to think about and believe in over the years is you can't have one without the complete opposite, like the whole yin and yang thing. Um, you can't have Knowles without moon dance. You can't have happiness without sadness. And, um, you can't have a super hard, hard skills based trip without having a super soft skills based trip. And I can't be a leader without first being a student. And there are a lot of similarities but yet they're so different. It's, it's, it's a different experience being a leader, whether that's a hard skills or a soft skills trip. And it's a difference being a student, whether that's hard skills or soft skills, like they're all so different. Yeah. And do you think that you learned more from one or the other or benefited more from one or the other? Mm. I mean, could it be just a different place in your life? Like you're older now. Yeah. Like, what do you think about that? Different place in my life. I think, that the Knowles, the Knowles trip was more, probably more transformational for me. And then the Moondance summer was more developmental for me, developing on these things that I really learned from Knowles that like I came out of Knowles just like wanting to like be a better person. And, you know, I had a couple summers after Knowles that were, that were pretty awesome that I got to build on that. But this summer was not only that I got to build on that, but I have to be that person. And like, you really have to step into that role of like, okay, well, who is the best version of myself? And I hope that I achieved that. I'm not saying that I did, but like, it's, it's a great way to force yourself into that role of, I have to be this person. Like this trip will not function without me at least attempting to, to be the person that this trip needs. And that's my best self. 
At least I like to think, I don't know if that's what happened or not, but it's what I tried to think about. That's super cool. That's super cool. And then what do you think? uh, So what does the future hold? You're about to head back to school. Mm -hmm. Yep. Going out West in a couple of days, moving into my new house, archery elk season starting, which I got to put a lot of work in for that. Yeah, me Um, too. (laughs) I was so confident just yesterday. Until I shot the broadheads. The broadheads can mess it all up. I mean, I don't know anything about bow hunting really, but the broadheads, I know that the transition from field tip to broadhead can be a little tricky. Well, yeah, I'm having that problem. I feel like (laughs) the only thing I can compare it to is all of a sudden being able to cast really good on the lawn and then stepping onto the boat and you literally can't get it out of the boat. (laughs) And I've seen yeah. that happen lots of times and people are like, I was really good at home. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't rocking. There wasn't any wind. Now there's water involved. Yeah. You know, the boat's moving. There's a million things going on. You really, you know, practicing on the golf course is one thing. Practicing out here is a whole different thing. And that's what I'm mm-hmm. seeing with the, with the broadhead. I mean, I was, I was dialed at 60. I was putting in just these tight groups and, and then Turner says, no problem. We'll get you set up. It's a problem with the rest, and it's a mechanical issue. Like, it's not that I all of a sudden can't shoot anymore. Yeah. But there's some sort of mechanical issue that I've never – I don't. I haven't encountered before because I'm a beginner bow hunter, mm-hmm. kind of like you and I are – you're a little ahead of me, but we're on this kind of the same path, and we had – luckily we have this – guide in your brother that is a little further along than us and has already worked his way through a lot of these issues and then there'll be plenty of issues that he hasn't worked his way through because mm-hmm. it's a just like fly fishing and fishing in general it's a lifetime thing just like the bow hunting thing is like you you're only going to continue to learn more and you're only and as the as the gear progresses just like the gear progresses in fishing like you get these super fast rods well, that's amazing and it's fantastic, but it also creates new problems that have never existed before. Like that you now now you have mm-hmm. to be like, oh, okay, well, with braid, you can't do this. Or with this super fast fly rod, then it's not a good super idea to, to do this. Or you got to use sets, a different yeah. taper or you got to set the hook differently or mm-hmm. whatever. Or like braid and circle hooks. Like when that first came out, you had to work that out. And somebody that's never done that, doesn't work it out as quickly as somebody that, mm-hmm. you know, has, I don't know. It's all about working it out faster. Like if you're, if you have more experience, you encounter a problem. Like it's really hard to set the hook with braid and a circle hook and a super fast rod. Why? Okay. Well, oh, I see. You have to just reel. You don't set the hook at all. You just, you just let the fish take it and you just start reeling. And then of course, that's a new technique that was created mm-hmm. when braid, super fast rods, and circle hooks became something that we started using. That's where I am with this broadhead right now. It's like, okay, this is a new thing. Never encountered it before. Got to figure it out. There's some sort of mechanical mm-hmm. issue. Turner thinks it's the rest. Could be. John Dudley know. thinks it's the rest, which oh. I've never talked to John Dudley, but I watch his videos on YouTube. And he had one that said, do you just shank it off into the woods? <laughs> yes, that's the problem. I shank it off into the woods. Check. Yep. Yes. So anyway, I wanted to work on that. You work on that too. And when we get there, maybe we'll maybe we'll get one this year because we have two really good hunts coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. Really excited about it. Yeah. It'll be a good time. You're also going to need to um, walk. I mean, you've been walking all summer. Mm-hmm. I need to walk with a heavy pack because i'm telling you packing that elk out last year was yeah i need to no joke lift more weights like i'm good on the walking endurance and like my feet are pretty tough but i don't know the the stuff that i was doing over the summer was not very intense well you can't be too prepared for, yeah. for that elk hunting because we we killed it and we turner killed his elk in a place that was marginally hard to get it out of it could have been a lot worse mm-hmm. easily like a few hundred yards over one way or another could have been either substantially easier to get it out or substantially harder to get it out and i think that 
that's a, you know, you, you just have to prepare for it to mm-hmm. be virtually impossible to get it out and um, be ready for that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're going to have a great time. Looking forward to it. Um, I'm super proud of you for, for this summer, not just for this summer, but for, for everything. But you've, you just, uh, you obviously from mom and I's perspective, you did have this transformational summer that I don't know that you are going to fully see yet, but we see it and it's really cool. I mean, you, you, you did just what we hoped you would and that's challenge yourself, put yourself in, in positions and uncomfortable positions and, and things that you had never done before. And then, then thrive. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool to see that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um, do you think you'll do it again? I'm planning on doing it again. Being yeah. a leader? Being a leader, yeah. Turner's uh, getting married June 10th, um, so I'm landlocked with that. But luckily, all the trips that I want to lead, leave after that. So it's all good. All right. All right. So uh, if people probably, a lot of people may never have heard of Moondance or Knowles or Whatever. How would somebody learn more if they wanted to send their kid to one of these things, or if a kid's listening to this and they thought maybe that sounds like a good trip, or maybe there's other trips out there? I don't know. What would somebody do to learn mm-hmm. more about these type of opportunities? Well, first off, Moondance is not the only company. There's a ton. There's a lot of different companies. Um, like if you want hard skills, Knowles, but like these soft skills, Moondance type trips. There's a bunch of them. What would somebody uh, Google? Like to find out like a bunch of these different kind of trips and a bunch of these different kind of uh, companies, Knowles, yeah. Moon Dance. Probably for like the Moon Dance type stuff, I would say just like adventure travel companies for teens. Oh, I don't, okay. Yeah. Something that's probably what I would go. I've never Googled that before. Um, something like that. But we, we ran into one company called Apogee uh in the Alps. So they they run the same Chamonix trip, but that's more like a like a like a northeast company. Mm-hmm. So Moondance is like a southeast based company. Um so they have these like little niches all over the country in the United States. But find a trip, talk to HQ headquarters, like Moondance headquarters does uh an amazing job at placing kids and trips and oftentimes the kids don't even know what they want to do. So they'll talk to the parents. I want a leadership trip or I want to go on vacation on a beach or something like that. So they'll talk to them. Um, and then if you want to be a leader, I'll just apply, I guess Mm -hmm. that's what what I did. Just fill out the application. You don't need to try to talk to somebody. They, They treat most everybody the same and, yeah, I don't know. Going into it with an open mind and no expectations. Nice. All right. Very cool. And um all right. So do that if you wanna if you want to. I can tell you from a parent's perspective, it's been very fan it's been fantastic. Uh Turner did a Knowles course that was a, a wilderness EMT thing that he got a lot out of. You did your Knowles Alaska course. Hannah's done a moon dance course. You've been a moon dance leader. It's it's been um all of them have have been really good for the kids. I highly suggest them. I think they're pretty pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming in and um, telling us all about this. You had an awesome summer. Yeah. Looking absolutely. forward to hearing what you do next summer, and uh, certainly looking forward to this fall elk hunting together. Thanks. Yeah, me too. All right. Thanks, Hayden. See you. Bye.